Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, as we pray each week, we ask you to be here in this place with us and we trust that you have come and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. This morning marks the first Sunday of Advent, the first day of the new church year, the time we begin the countdown to the Incarnation, the Feast of Christmas, during which we celebrate our Savior Jesus Christ's arrival in the world. This season is about waiting. You see we have the Advent candles there. We've got one lit, and each week we'll light another one, uh, sort of presenting a, a visual representation of the countdown that we're in. And traditionally, during Advent, uh, the readings, as you'll see as we go through it, and the preaching will be about the stuff that happens just before Jesus's arrival. We'll read about John the Baptist. We'll read about Mary. This morning we heard about Jesus's sort of prediction about the coming of the Son of Man. But I wanted to do something a little bit different this year for Advent. Um, I noticed that whoever put together our lectionary, chose an Isaiah reading for each week leading up to Christmas. And I haven't spent a ton of time um, studying Isaiah, so I thought that I would um, preach four sermons from Isaiah this Advent. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. It wouldn't be uh, fair or accurate to call it a sermon series on Isaiah because Isaiah has 66 books and there's uh, chapters. Uh, there's no way I could even scratch the surface in these four weeks, but I do want to spend these four weeks of Advent not talking about the things that happened just before Jesus's arrival, but talking about some things that happened hundreds of years before Jesus's arrival when the people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah. Now this week, our reading comes from the very beginning of Isaiah chapter 2, and it is a beautiful image. If you listened, you heard it. Isaiah sees the mountain of the Lord's house established as the highest of the mountains. And he sees the people calling each other together to go up the mountain so that God can teach them his ways. They want to be obedient to the Lord, and they're excited to learn how to do that. They're streaming up this mountain to seek the instruction of the Lord. And the instruction works, too, because it results in this wonderful peace. You um, have heard this quote. My children have heard this quote from a Michael Jackson song. Uh, For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is gorgeous, right? The implements of war have become instruments of farming. And even the judgment of the Lord so often described in the Old Testament in terrifying language of wrath and destruction, seems here to be welcome. What a glorious future this will be for God's people. 
Of course, I couldn't help but notice that we started in Isaiah chapter 2, which made me wonder what Isaiah sees in chapter 1. And shoot, don't you know that Isaiah's vision in chapter 1 is quite a bit different than it is in chapter 2? In chapter 1, which I think we need to understand before we get to chapter 2, Isaiah doesn't see an obedient nation streaming up the Lord's mountain. He sees a sinful nation running away. For instance, verse 3. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And verses 5 and 6. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. The nation is sinful from head to foot. This sounds an awful lot like St. Paul writing to the Romans. None is righteous, he says. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then he starts to go head to foot, just like Isaiah. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. These are two sobering diagnoses of the human condition. One from Isaiah, one from Paul, using the whole body as an illustration. People are sinful, head to foot. But things we're promised in Isaiah chapter 2 won't stay this way. Isaiah sees a future for this sinful people, and he gets there. In Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 5, which is our reading from this morning, it shall come to pass, Isaiah says, prophesying in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and the nations shall flow to it and many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways, and we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Remember the feet that were swift to shed blood. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, he says. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. So, we come to the big question. How do we get from here to there? How do we realize this vision? How can we move from a place where Isaiah looks at the people of God and sees that they deserve God's judgment 
Remember, he rhetorically asks why they will continue to be struck down. And he answers because their whole body is sick, whole body is sinful from head to foot. How do we get from worthy of God's judgment, i.e. running away from God, to a place where the people are streaming up God's mountain, looking for the law of the Lord so that it can instruct them? As sinners, they should be afraid of the law, shouldn't they? And yet in Isaiah chapter 2, they are anything but. Now, in a sense, this is the question of all religious life. No matter what your religion is, even if your religion isn't normally called a religion, this is the question. How do I get from here to there, from sin to righteousness, from dissatisfaction to satisfaction, from unenlightenment to enlightenment, from unpopular to popular, from rejected to accepted. Again, even if your religion isn't called a religion, this is the question. How can we get sinners to climb the mountain of the Lord? Now, the first thing Isaiah tells the people is to get their act together. Stop being so disobedient. He's got a set of practical advice. This is Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. So there you have it, right? That's the root. From here to there, make yourselves clean. Fix yourselves up. But there's still that sin problem, isn't there? Because we're not, as sinners, inclined to be obedient. We're inclined to rebel. We don't want to climb up to God. We'd rather run away. To borrow the language of St. Paul, we are still not doing the things we ought to do. And still doing the things We ought not to do. We're still afraid that if we approach a holy God, we won't be good enough. Remember that Isaiah's diagnosis is bone deep from top of the head to bottom of the foot. The whole head is sick, he says, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness. In it, we need somehow to get from Isaiah 1 to Isaiah 2, from rebellion to obedience. And fixing ourselves up isn't going to be enough. We need to be made new. And so, right after his practical advice for a cleaned up life, Isaiah gives us the enabling word. The thing that makes it all possible. This is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red 
like crimson. They shall become like wool. This is how we get from Isaiah 1 to Isaiah 2. This is how we get from fear to faith. The good news about the forgiveness of sins. And notice, this is a promise. Your sins will be washed white. How do we get from a place where the law finds us guilty, like it did when Isaiah considered his sinful nation, to a place where the nations are flowing up the mountain of the Lord, looking forward to being taught by the law of God? In other words, how does a commandment go from being a judge to being a promise? Here's the amazing truth, the amazing truth of Advent. We don't get from here to there. God comes from there to here. This is what Advent is all about. A sinful nation waiting desperately for its Savior to come. See, the real problem that the people of Israel were having wasn't their bad behavior, though it was bad. Our fundamental problem isn't our bad behavior either. The real problem was for them and is for us lack of faith, unbelief. Remember from Isaiah 1, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. The ox and the donkey know their owner, but we don't. Or rather, we forget. And so we need to be reminded week by week, day by day, hour by hour. How is it that we can climb the mountain of the Lord without fear? How is it that we can hear his instruction, not as judgment, but as a promise of a glorious future? What motivates us to want to climb at all? The simple announcement that a Savior has come. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson. They shall become like wool. A simple announcement that we believe. An announcement that generates faith. The good news of our undeserved salvation sends us streaming up God's mountain, excited to receive his teaching. And in a moment, as we begin our communion service, we'll acknowledge this transition in what is called our Advent preface, which you'll hear as I read the service. We are made heirs in Christ of everlasting life, that when he shall come again in power and great glory to judge the world, we may without shame or fear rejoice to behold his appearing. In other words, the mountain of God's teaching no longer makes us afraid. In faith, faith that though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. In faith, we rejoice. 
In Revelation 7, John ties this pure white in place of scarlet red directly to Jesus. He says, he looked, he sees this vision of the almighty throne room of the Lord. He says, he sees a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they're all crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels are standing around and, and there's an elder there and they all say, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders asks John, Who are all these people dressed in white? And John says to him, you, you must know, and the elder says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Though their sins were like scarlet, they have been washed white as snow. And so we are sinners made clean. By Jesus' blood. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Remember how our reading from Isaiah ended. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of of the Lord. Surely this is the Lord's brightest light, the light that inspires a teeming heavenly throng to sing blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And so, this Advent and every day, let us walk in that light of the Lord, singing the good news about the Lamb of God come to earth to wash away your sin. Amen.